0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next podcast in a new season of Deep Space Nine here at Treknebabel. This is Kevin.
1: This is Matthew,
0: and uh, we're sin- sitting down to watch part one of the search. Um, I remember liking this episode a lot um, the first time I saw it as a kid. Um, the the ending, while not sh- you know, we talked about this in our podcast for Jem Hadar, uh, it's not strictly a cliffhanger. You know, not like the best of both worlds was, but it definitely was a big ending i remember i remember my jaw hitting the floor when when the odyssey was destroyed because you destroyed a galaxy class starship that's that's a big deal uh, especially to a long-term fan um so i remember being really eager about what they were going to do with this
1: yeah actually you know it's kind of funny uh when we just go ahead and start this in fact why don't we do that right now because we'll be talking over the recap so uh everybody get your media ready to go and we will press play simultaneously. Three, two, one, press play. So, you know, it wasn't a cliffhanger. It didn't say to be continued, yet there's mm-hmm. a recap of the previous episode, last time on Deep Space Nine. Um, which, I mean, I think it makes sense. It, it really, I guess the only the only plausible rationale for not, calling it a cliffhanger is that in the narrative several months pass you know
0: well also i think the the tension is much more open-ended like the, in in episodes like um best of both worlds it's like he says fire <coughs> the, the, the the implicit scene that's going to come at the start of the next season is the exact consequence of that of that moment where or you know even like uh, descent it's it's data coming out with lore there's a like yeah. clear this we are breaking this scene in half and putting a summer in between it and it doesn't feel like they were going to do that um, with this one like like if nothing else like even even with um, something like uh, redemption where the two episodes were at least a few weeks apart you gather you know like like some time had passed it wasn't like wharf materializing on the Klingon ship right after the scene in part one, but it still felt like the major question of the first part of that episode is, is (coughs) Worf really gone? Is going to be answered completely by the end of that episode? And you kind of knew that going in. Like, obviously everyone knew Michael Dorn was in fact coming back, but it's still like, is Worf really gone? Is he staying on the Klingon ship? And we're going to answer that question maybe one way or the other by the end of the episode. I don't feel there was a question that needed to be answered in this in this episode in the same way.
1: I I agree. You know, just looking at the scenes there, you know, I intend to be ready for them. And then Major Barrett says, and now the continuation instead of the conclusion, I guess they're just trying to indicate that this is sort of a sea change. This isn't a, a two episode thing. Yeah, that'll be over quickly. I just gotta say, what is with the hairdos on both Kira and Dax? All right, well, I, that is a lot of hair gel. That is,
0: I, I I'll be honest, I kind of like this one more than her some of her previous season stuff. Uh,
1: You're talking about Dax? Uh,
0: no, Kira. This one, I don't know. I like this one a little bit more than her like aggressive pageboy thing she had going on. Um, it's like I think season four and five is when I like her hair the most when it's not so product up. It's like a little shorter. It's short, but it's not crazy. Then we get into season seven with like that, like side sweep thing, and that's a whole other thing. But Dax is kind of crazy. It's just, it, it it almost feels like they were trying to harken back to like the complicated updos of the original series, but failed because it's it's too dark and it's too polished to really look
1: like anything other than someone stuck a loaf of bread on the back of her head. I I just can't imagine a Starfleet officer spending that much time on her hair. So it it just makes you think either she just came from, like, whatever the DS9 equivalent of Mr. Mott is, and it's just going to look like this for this next hour, you know, or they've invented some super machine that can, you know, do these weird, twisted, product-laden do's. Anyway. Yeah. So they're talking about how simulations show that they wouldn't survive a matter of hours against the Dominion. And then this thing, like, okay, so, Cisco orders the ship to come in cloaked, which sends them into red alert. What if they had fired? You know? It seems a bit reckless. Eh, yeah, I think Cisco knows his people. Couldn't he have called ahead and said, okay, I'm coming in cloaked, see if you can find me? Yeah, it's a good enough moment for a teaser. <laughs> um,
0: so, it's pretty clear. Like, obviously, the, the big sea change for the franchise overall. Um, is that the Next Generation ended some months ago. Voyager won't start until January of uh, 95. Yeah. Um, so the show is on its own for six months, and the first thing they do is get a starship. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I believe even the producers have said this was a conscious thing. We didn't want to have two competing starships, which they eventually will with Voyager anyway, but I, I, I guess I get their thinking. They wanted to have, especially while Next Gen was still on, two very different shows which which makes sense because i mean i understand it i i liked the design of the defiant i thought it achieved what it was supposed to achieve insofar as it's supposed to be the it's a federation style ship but designed with a very different purpose in mind and i thought the like you know the color the shape the balance looks like that thing
1: yeah i can agree with that uh I, yeah, so I have, I never had a problem with Deep Space Nine getting a ship, you know. In fact, personally, I thought it kind of solved a number of problems because you always were just kind of, or I was always just kind of wondering, you know, oh, could they really do this stuff with this, like, glorified shuttlecraft, the runabout, you know. Yeah, and they go, and through, them always, they go through them like tissue paper. Well, yeah, and I always kind of chafed at the idea that they were always stuck in this one spot You know, one of the things that really sort of buttered my bread about TMG and then later Voyager is the simple fact that you do have the potential for an Alien of the Week, which, of course, can be, you know, done badly. But it does create a lot of variety, you know, whereas Deep Space Nine, they sort of strain for that variety because they have story constraints. And so if they have a ship like this, you know, there are fewer of those constraints. So I, I have no problem with it. Um, I like the Okudogram, Here's the intro of their conference room, which they're going to get a lot of use out of. I think it's just crew quarters redressed. Um, so I like the idea of a conference room. It's, you know, you saying that they didn't want to be like TNG. It's like the two things they just got are staples of TNG: a conference room where they can all, you know, have a little confab as, a, as an entire cast.
0: Yeah, and not just and, and standing around the. Ops table, yeah. Which you know, it's fine. It's two of the things that worked really well on start on next gen. So I'm happy that they're here now. Um, yeah. The other, the only the thing that bothered me actually is, especially after the discovery of the wormhole, and extra especially after this, the discovery of the Dominion. How is there not just a fleet stationed at this station? Like really, there should just be a fleet of ships that is based out of this station all the damn time.
1: Yeah, The number well, of
0: times the plot device is Admiral Blavity blah, 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 blah will be here in six hours, which is one minute too late to be useful, is just graded on my nerves in later seasons.
1: Well, one thing I kind of don't get here is this, you know, defined as somehow damaged goods idea. And it part, part of it is what you're saying. You know, it's like if Starfleet really thought that this was a serious... Uh, you know, strategic uh, choke point for the Dominion, would they send a defective ship? Okay, so that's my first problem. But then my second problem is it's never really defective. You know, it's it's just like a dumb story device that they sort of introduce and then drop because they can't really think of a way to dramatize it effectively. Right, because they solved the problems in this episode. (laughs) So here we have uh, Martha Hackett, who, uh, who I love. Plays, Mar- yeah. yeah, she later plays Seska in Voyager and was one of the definite high points of the first two seasons of Voyager. Yeah. In the role. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I love her in this role. Uh, she <laughs> wears the shoulder pads well. Um, and then we are introduced to Michael Eddington here. And, you know, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody and tell you what happens with the character, but as far as this episode is concerned, you know, when I was watching it, a couple days ago, I was just like, ah, oh, again, with the whole, oh, Starfleet doesn't trust Odo storyline. It's like, how many times have they done this storyline? Is this the third time?
0: I think it's the second,
1: because there was Primmin and. Well, I don't mean like bringing someone in, but they've had the, you know, Starfleet conversation several it. times, yes. Yeah. And I'm just tired of it, you know? It's like, shit or get off the pot. If you're going to, like, fire him, fire him and make it a real story, you know? Don't just make it false drama. Um, so
0: yeah, I, I agree with that um, I think they use it well inside the confines of this episode
1: no it works reasonably well because it sets up questions about Odo's sort of loyalty you yeah. know um, so it works for that but I feel like they could have done that differently yeah you know? yeah because these scenes with I mean, we've seen this scene before with Cisco you know trying to you know smooth things over with Odo and tell him that you know he well you know I've just heard all this. All right. So that, that's my complaint about this particular story beat. Um, and I just feel like someone like Ron Moore, you know, or Michael Pillar, like they should know this already, you know, they should know it's been done. They should know they're going back to the well again, and they should try to find a different way to spin it. Uh, they could have just stuck with Odo as being irresistibly drawn by compulsion, you know, That's enough to make you question his loyalty. They didn't really need to add this part.
0: Yeah, I'd give you that. Uh, My other problem with Eddington, and again, not to spoil it, whatever his character trait was in the given episode seemed to be, you know, whatever the needs of the episode were. If they, you know, like he never really felt developed as an additional character on the show, which would have helped, you know, the ultimate resolution, yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, my resignation will be logged within the hour. It's like, yeah, right. (laughs) You know, at this point, they've cried wolf so many times. I I am not in the slightest bit worried that Odo will be off the show by the end of the episode. You know, so that's what I'm saying. It's just not effective storytelling. Okay, I hate this joke. You know, I still can't believe I can't get a decent bowl of Idanian spice pudding on Earth. Could you just not have brought it on an isolinear chip? This is a replicator. Yeah, I
0: mean, yeah, even to the extent down that... down to the
1: molecular structure what you want to eat. It should be perfect every time.
0: Yeah. I mean, even to the extent that, like, the whole reason quarks can exist is the idea that there are such things as proprietary replicator programs. You should just be able to replicate. Yeah, I... the replicated
1: food jokes never sit well with me, because it's like, I could understand... It contradicts the the very science fiction, you know, sort of Trope thing that, we're given. Yeah. You know?
0: That is also a crazy shirt that Jake is wearing. I am... Yeah. What in God's name did they put that boy in? That is... That it's is the... the
1: weirdest thing he's ever worn.
0: Yeah, that is like the skinny, like, blouse equivalent of a
1: Wesley sweater. That is not right. Worse than anything Wesley ever wore, because it's got, like, this bizarre... Is it... It's like like a bib or something it's yeah crazy paisley i don't know what's going on
0: it's I like, say, like the
1: first couch in the worst doctor's office in 1991
0: yeah. i did like that little the little moment between uh, Jake and Benjamin about the uh, the stuff that used to be in his the study at in his house is now here and that mo- that means that this is their home now that oh, that, yeah. was, that scene was really well played
1: yeah that's a nice scene i agree with that and so, because I don't really buy the basis of Odo's sort of beef, this scene just feels like filler to me, you know. I
0: I like what Kier's trying to do. It makes sense for the character. Um, she doesn't want him to go, both you know, professionally and personally. They're friends. It, I like again, if they hadn't done it the two or three times before. Then this would be a much better plot point, or because even knowing we would that he's not really leaving, it would still at least be novel. Um, so I always like the moments between the characters.
1: No, it's acted well. You know, she says, "Maybe I'm your friend. Maybe I want you to see that you're still needed." I mean, yeah, it's very nice. Yeah, and again, you know, the idiot Starfleet admirals are doing this. You know, I I liked. The dialogue that Cisco delivered, uh, I believe it's to Kira, um, and, and it's coming up, you
0: know, yeah.
1: um, presaging it. But she, he delivers a line that he actually kind of agrees with Starfleet, and I wish they could have gone more with that. You know, like actually make Cisco and Odo at odds. Yeah, you know? have a real conflict between them instead of always, you know, sort of pawning off the conflict on some idiot Starfleet admiral. So now there's a model of the International Space Station in the background there. Interesting that it's not the, you know, whatever future iteration completed version uh, is supposed to be. Hmm. <coughs> so we're drafting Quark to come back on this mission. Um, and I guess it kind of makes sense. Uh Now, the, the continuity he's referencing is the Karema, who we actually never met. Uh, you know, we yeah. met the kooky race with the, the polka dots. Yeah, the, the dosai. Yeah. Actually, I would have loved to have seen the dosai again in this episode. That was some crazy makeup. At least, and I'll say this, they committed. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, if they had gotten, what is it, uh, Brian, I forget his name, Brian Cox, Brian Williams. But if they had gotten that actor to come back, I'd have been thrilled, because he's great at everything he does. Yeah. I mean, I like that Quark is reluctant. <coughs> you know, yeah. it shows that the last episode's events really, you know, have long-lasting impact. Uh, and, of course, this is a funny beat with the scepter of the Grand Nagus. Uh Does the Magus have several scepters one that he can lend out like a provisional scepter
0: like a daytime scepter
1: yeah and it leads to the funny punchline of this scene
0: i remember reading armin shimmerman actually was really bothered by this uh cisco making quark kiss the scepter feels a little racist
1: like it's it's Human
0: against Ferengi racism, right? Where it's it, it's like mocking of their culture. It, it was it's like he's play like like he would kiss the Nagus' scepter if the Nagus did it because that's like that that's a cultural you know whatever for Quark. Cisco making him do it as parody it feels culturally insensitive. Which uh, I, I appreciate that Armin Shimmerman puts that much thought into his scenes.
1: <laughs> well, and you know the way he plays it here, you know he kisses it in sort of a humiliated manner. Yeah. You know? And so I actually, I kind of like it if, again, Cisco were a little bit racist, you know, against the Ferengi. So here's this Okudogram that says, Dominion's sphere of influence. Do they know that? Enough to create a chart of it? Would that, would, would that stop them? I mean, well, I guess they like charts, but, you know, what's odd about all this talk about the Defiant and the Chief is that we don't see the Chief. You know? Like, I kind of like the techno technobabble scene of Chief O'Brien complaining about something on the Defiant, you know? Yeah. Yeah, this hair is just crazy. It's just crazy hair. And I think it literally lasts
0: this episode. I think it was different by... Uh, well,
1: I mean, for a hairdresser, you know, in addition to her makeup, I, I mean, it's got to take an extra hour. I mean, I, I, ma-
0: all- I imagine that whole back piece is is, an, is
1: extensions, but still. That's well, gotta you got to be- blend it, and then it, I'm sure it falls all over the place if she, you know, moves. I mean, it's got to be like acting with a helmet on, you know. Yeah. The continuity issues must be a nightmare just to get the hair looking the same. The, the whole display is met, called stellar cartography. I like the scene. I like having this personal stuff between Dax and Cisco. Um, you know, they, they. Do you agree with me that they've gotten away from it a little bit? I mean, blood oath. There was some of it, but beyond that, season two didn't have a real a whole lot of Cisco Dax stuff at all.
0: Yeah, and I I, say, I like the actors together i think uh they do a really good job of having a relationship informed by curzon but not bound by it. like i never got the impression their friendship existed only because of her memories of curzon i got the impression that these two people also responded to each other and i thought that obviously helped uh their scenes together
1: yeah i mean that's got to be hard to play i'm friends with you but i'm also friends with a former manifestation of you that's one of those science fiction acting jobs, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't Curzon have said to Cisco as Cisco's mentor that he didn't seem cut out for a job behind an Admiral's desk? Maybe he felt that Cisco had to make his own. Mistakes. Yeah, I was going
0: to say like that. That that's not something you. That's not something. Maybe twenty-four-year-old Cisco was ready to hear.
1: I suppose there was no danger of him becoming an admiral in the real Star Trek universe at age twenty-four. JJ Abrams, notwithstanding. So here's the bridge. Uh, it's a, interesting that they have this sort of one-person helm thing in the middle there. Uh, it's a cool looking console. I like the roundedness of it. It's very yeah. different from yeah. the previous consoles, um, you know. And with the stations surrounding the captain's chair, it's reminiscent of uh, the Romulan design, actually. Oh, the Kling- uh, Klingon one too. Yeah. I you know I do have <sighs> look. We're warming to Sudeg Alpha deal, okay. And we're warming to the character of Dr. Bashir. But he spends an inordinate amount of time on the bridge pressing buttons in this episode, you know. And it just calls into question whether the writers felt they just had to put main cast members on the bridge. Yeah,
0: I mean i like the design I, I do like the design of the bridge it's much it is much more martial um there are no side chairs which i think is a, is a big deal especially coming off of PNG. it's like but, but yeah. where where are his confidants supposed to sit so he can talk meaningfully to them about what's bothering him like that's, yeah. that it's a big difference <clears throat> this model work is gorgeous like that is just a really great shot
1: yeah it definitely uh with the lights coming on and the, the decals and you know the optical effects. So, yeah, very good work. Um, I'm just I'm looking at all these different angles of this bridge and trying to see if I can like pick up if it's anything that's been redressed. Uh, is it maybe a battle bridge redress? Is it a, a movie bridge redress? I don't know. I mean, maybe they built it fresh. So
0: um, I was reading that when they they did build I think they did build the set new because they were rigging the lights to do the um, cloaking effect and apparently they just did it all by hand replacing everything to make to do the transition to the cloaked effect and they said should we leave this rigging here <laughs> the first time we build it so we can just go back and forth and they said no because we're probably not going to use the cloak again after this episode so don't worry about it and then they did all the damn time and because of the way they built the bridge it was much more complicated to do the lighting effect than it needed to be had they just built it to do that the two different lighting rigs Built into the set at the, fir- the first time, which I just find hilarious, and feel really bad for the for the lighting guy.
1: Yeah, I, I like these quarters a lot. I like that it's like this <clears throat> Japanese capsule hotel look to it. Yeah, which tells you that it's much more uh, Spartan and utilitarian. Um, you know, these little curtains that you you pull back and stuff. Yeah, um, they do have replicators. Here's the second. Re- replicator joke in the episode it's like I, why wouldn't it have a decent synthahol um and again why wouldn't quark just have the recipe in his jacket if he needed it
0: yeah I mean because even if it were like a low quality replicator wouldn't that mean it couldn't make anything like it wouldn't make food but like it, it just seems like
1: eh. yeah like whatever it made would just fall apart in your mouth or something um as far as, you know, the Defiant goes, I I have to say I never quite really sort of was given a sense of the layout of the ship by watching any episode. The sets feel a bit disconnected at times, you know, and or the scale of it. Like, I kind of want to know how big a person is in relation to the whole ship. Like, at least with the runabout, like, yeah. you know there's no deck above or below, even if there's sort of this conference roomy crew quarters area in back um, you know so like I love these quor- these quarters and I like the bridge and I like what we're going to see as engineering eventually um, but they just don't like relate to each other you know like where are these? Well things? like
0: yeah looking at the little diagram they have in the turbolift I think the ship is only four or five decks like it's not okay. it's not that big um, one thing I really like about the defines is the the shots of it, uh, hooked, like connected to the to the docking ring. I always thought mm-hmm. those shots looked great, and it gave a great sense. Like anytime the ships are docked in the station, I always like the physicality of the model
1: there. I always kind of wondered, like, so the thing sticking out of the front has the navigational deflector, but I guess it also has an airlock or something. Yeah. All right. So I do enjoy <coughs> the sort of run silent, run deep kind of. Uh, drama cloaking device drama essentially Um, you know like even though like some nagging nitpicker part of me says ah this is just artificial tension I always like it
0: Um, yeah and Martha Hackett is really good with the with the technobabble like she, she is selling her knowledge of the cloaking device there's just something about the way she bites the line that just I always really like watching yeah. I, I also like that, you know, this was some years before reality television existed or was big. I just like your opening line. I'm
1: not, I'm not here to make friends. <laughs> so, in more nice views of the Scarab ships for the Gemindar. Definitely a cool design. One of their better enemy ships by far. Uh, yeah. Better than the Cardassians. Better than, uh, you know, any of the sort of nameless... Uh,
0: yeah, I, I like the Galar class ships.
1: Yeah, uh, I feel like the back end the front end's interesting, but the back end is just kinda meh. In after that uh, yeah. I mean the the ultimate classic of course is the Romulan Warbird. Yeah. But this runs a close second. It actually kinda looks a bit like the Cylon ships from the original Battlestar Galactica.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I you get the impression. You know that's eventually confirmed <laughs> by the scripts that there's not a lot of space inside those ships that they're they must just have the bare minimum of what they need to be functional and nothing else and uh, I th- th- I like that design.
1: I mean, I could see a Gemindar warship being designed specifically to be intimidating um, because that's sort of the whole ethos yep. of that arm of the dominion is you know fear and intimidation um but yeah. i'm not saying they're not intimidating yeah like they're all right
0: i gotta say uh the planet
1: work has gotten much better um yeah there, there's some jagged edges in the composite I, i'm hoping those will go away um now here is uh like the is skipping me I'm sorry. It, the, yeah, the
0: the Caramo guy here.
1: Yeah. Uh, the actor is the actor who plays Silic on Enterprise and he's terrific. I love his voice and his sort of if you'll forgive me Kevin, his sort of swishy, you know, slightly he, effeminate yeah. gay quality. <laughs> you know, it really really works. It works on Silic, it works here uh, and the way he delivers lines is terrific. I don't know what his accent is or if he's affecting it, you know, like I don't know if he's English or British or American or what, but it just really works. Like, every time he's on the screen, he was one of the, the highlights of Enterprise, if you ask me. I like this if the founders exist stuff. Yeah, you know? I- my I kind of wish they would have drawn it out a little bit longer. Yeah,
0: I was going to say my only problem is once the Federation knows the Founders exist, they just drop it as a thing. Like it, I underst- Like it makes sense that part. Of, it, it is uh, increasingly apparent that that's the Dominion ethos. It's not even being bigger or more powerful or you know more capable. It's just making them think it. So that air of mystery helps them. I kind of we- like. I wonder, you know, does the Federation's frequent encounter with changelings make them a more certainty toward to dominion people like uh, that would have been an interesting episode to do
1: again with the tulaberry wine I mean granted they set it up last season so I'm happy that they're you know re- referencing it but I just it's just not a very inspiring name for a product <laughs> I guess it's better than tube grubs or something. Hmm. So, Port Egress. Um, Oro is being shown his first picture of the Omarion Nebula. Yeah,
0: it, it, and René Aubergine is playing it well. Um... I kind of question how you program someone to like know that, that like would any map do would like like what, what exactly triggered it
1: and uh, the Or or how how resolute does the image need to be? Yeah. For it to like trip the post hypnotic suggestion? Like if it's from too far away will he not recognize it? <coughs> so I mean it's not fatal, but No no. I agree. Uh, I like that Quirk is getting out as quickly as he can. Um, it makes sense for the character, even if I'm sure Armin Shimmerman would have preferred more scenes. Yeah. Um, you would think that... I mean, so Cisco gives him a look here, but he doesn't really follow up on it, you know? I mean, it seems really noticeable that Odo has been seriously mentally disturbed by this. Yeah. So I really do like this scene. Yeah, totally. So all my complaints about, you know, how they're rehashing this stuff are mitigated by the fact that they actually do a few interesting things with it. I think they could have gone further. You know, I think that Cisco could really have a beef with Odo. You know, and maybe if they had set it up previously with, you know, some... Yeah. Big conflict between them. It would have been nice. One thing that I think DS9 has whiffed on a little bit is raising the stakes for characters. And to be fair, TNG was, you know, no uh, great raiser of stakes for the characters either. You know, they constantly whiffed on relationship questions, they constantly whiffed on, you know, consequences for actions, you know. So. I feel like Deep Space Nine is doing the same thing, yeah. But I just wish they would have not, because here's the format where you're really allowed to do that. You know, it's like this is where it's supposed to be, the sort of at the ethical edges, you know, of of good behavior. You know, what happens? What do you do? What do you say? Uh, Well, this planet's pretty boring. The previous planet was good.
0: I like the table, and uh, I think you uh, were talking about this some uh, a while ago. when We were just talking. Um, this feels like they they t- pulled a lot of notes for the NXO
1: One bridge from the Defiant oh, yeah. bridge, and you can you yeah. can see
0: that, especially with that table in the back with the screen on it.
1: Well, in, in the back wall with all these like drawers and shelves and stuff, like yeah. it's the nx One bridge looks a lot like this bridge. It's similar shape. It's got the similar sort of central... uh chair, yeah. And it's got people flanking on the sides. Now, it does have people turned inward uh, from the, the side areas, but, yeah. It's just the lighting, even.
0: Yeah. Okay, I really like... The, for a room the size of a utility closet, it, it's a really well-designed set. It has a lot of doodads. I believe this, this this is the server room... At every big corporation on Earth, and I I like how they did this. The detailing on the acutograms is nice. It sets up the green and purple color scheme that the Dominion will be sticking with for the balance of their existence. Uh, so it was. It's a good little set that only gets like ten seconds of time. But well, and
1: of course it's got the globe with little lightning blasts that we don't know what it's there for, just to look cool. There's the third replicator joke. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they got they went to that well a lot in this episode apparently.
1: Yeah. So, all right. It Is this too easy? I mean, Kevin, just confirm this for me. Is this too easy? The search has lasted 33 minutes and they've already found the founders? Like how could nobody else have done this?
0: Yeah, I mean, all you had to do was threaten the guys to the very wine contract and you got the the fortune though I, I think the episode eventually pays off and it explains the the founders were looking for them that this was a setup blah 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 yeah. Yeah. so I suppose had the founders been more dedicated to their own not being foundness this episode would have gone differently
1: I just feel you know I don't think it's a fault well is it a fault of this episode is a good question uh but they just found the founders too quickly. You know, like maybe finding the founders could have been the cliffhanger for the end of this season. You know? Yeah. As opposed to the first two episodes. Now, we shouldn't judge this episode on whether things succeed or fail after it, (coughs) except to the point that this episode sets it up. And it does set up good character stuff for Odo. So, you know, I'm not saying it's all bad. Yeah, so... Cures the Holmes person. Yeah, why not? We don't pay a guest after that way. Well, I mean, I guess she's she's flown ships before. She did in the the three parter that opened last season. You know, I like that Cisco leaves Dax and O'Brien. You know, for the sake of the mission. I do think they could have lit this bridge a bit better. It's a tad dark.
0: I think they. I think this. I think it's never this dark again. I think there's like more of a bluish hue to things when they go into submarine mode in future episodes.
1: Yeah. I mean the ergonomics of this place are kind of strange it's like we have our romulan guest we're just gonna make her stand at a at a console (coughs) and when she has to deliver a line she has to walk all the way to the center of the bridge romulan stand that's okay yeah i mean i guess she's used to it you're right is he just gonna stare at this picture
0: I do like the the scene is good, you know between between these two actors. I, I think they've. I, I do like uh, without getting into where their relationship ends up because that is a conversation I'm happy to delay for as long as possible. Mm. I do like their friendship. I think it actually oh, yeah. is portrayed very well.
1: No, and I like that she says she she comes to him when she needs help. This is, it's a very oblique reference to some of the past. Yeah. Development scene for them. Uh with was it Necessary Evil that was yeah. the flashback yeah. episode? <clears throat> yeah, I mean I, I like this scene. And I especially like where they go with it. You know, with sort of the, the cliffhanger to this episode.
0: Yeah. Well yeah, it's it's funny. Given that they open the season with a two parter, I wonder if would I've liked would have have been better to do this as the season one finale, and then or season two finale, and come in with season three's opener being the second part. And I don't think it would have been because the major tension of this episode is will the crew survive the imminent Jem'Hadar attack, and will Odo be back on the show. And since we still have a show, we know the answer to both those questions is going to be yes. So I feel that that tension would not have sustained. A summer. It sustained a week. I was like, I want to know what happens next week, people. Um, uh, So I think it actually works better that they made the opening this two-parter rather than splitting the story over a summer.
1: No, I like the way they did it. It it just it indicates that there's a new way of telling stories for Star Trek. Yeah. You know that there's going to be this sort of continuing saga as opposed to, you know, self-contained episodes. And some people like it, some people dislike it. You know, it's you know, it's your personal preference. I like both. You know, I think they yeah. both have things to recommend them.
0: Well, I also like... Um, I like that they don't resolve the Dominion threat quickly or easily, because it would make those episodes... Like, the, you know, the Borg are a recurring enemy, of the Romulans to a lesser extent, the Cardassians to a lesser extent on TNG, but they're not omnipresent in the way they are on Deep Space Nine. So I don't think you could set up an enemy this powerful and not make them an ongoing, you know, presence.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the Borg were watered down to some extent by the fact that, you know, well, that episode's done. Now we don't have to worry about them for another two seasons. You know, it's like, these are supposed to be like the worst of the worst of the worst, you know, like so threatening and so... You know, irredeemably evil and so powerful, and yet I can go back to Alien of the week after that. You know, it's yeah. just it kind of uh, it beggared belief a little bit.
0: Um, I also like that uh, it, 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 eventually we have to deal not just with the you know sort of tactical problem that Dominion presents, but the political one as well, and that's just you know that's just more interesting for a weekly drama. That was a lot of techno babble that Martha Hackett just had to spit out there.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: The ODN matrices. <laughs> I, I like what they. I mean, this destruction set works pretty well. I mean, there's lots of conduits and and, and, and eye bars and stuff just all over the place. Like, you really get the impression the Defined is having the shit pounded out of it. And um, I kind of like that. It goes off of last season's ending where, you know, this is technically the best the Federation can muster in terms of warship right now. And it still had, you know, it's they cleaned their chronometers. Um, Like the only reason the Defiant doesn't get destroyed by the end of this episode is because the found the as we'll eventually learn. They didn't want to destroy it. It was a it was a choice to not destroy the Defiant, period. Not anything about the Defiant that prevented its own destruction. So I kind of like that, you know, in a one-two punch, it's quite clear the Federation is outclassed, at least for the moment, by the Dominion.
1: Okay, I really have a problem with these fight scenes. And the problem is this. If you were a Jem'Hadar warrior, and you were beaming onto an enemy ship with a phaser weapon in hand, how would you use that weapon? would you use it to whack someone on the skull or would you actually fire the damn weapon? You know, I, I've i always had a problem with fistfights in Star Trek. Yeah. And it's because, number one, fistfights just generally aren't the most dramatic thing that you can do. It's much more interesting to have people fight with their minds or with ideas or with trying to manipulate each other. But if you can't do that, It's also more interesting to have them do it with weapons. (laughs) Because, frankly, I just... I don't believe that anyone's ever going to be killed in a fistfight. I don't believe that they're really in danger. And almost every fistfight, with one notable exception, uh, which is in Deep Space Nine, to be fair, almost all fistfights are just this sort of bloodless, you know trek fu stuff that it doesn't feel hard it doesn't feel damaging so it's just like it's just filling time on the screen you know and so that's my screen against trek fu i guess
0: well we eventually learned that they weren't actually trying to kill at least all of the crew but i do take your meaning it is kind
1: of silly well and these you have all these you know alien races that are supposed to be more strong and more powerful and taller and better fighters. It's like, you know what? If you had a fist fight with a Klingon, you should be fucking dead by the end of it. You know? They would, like, punch you and ram your skull into your brain, you know? And the same with Vulcans, the same with Romulans. Like, they established that all of these races have more physical power than humans. Okay, so anyway, back to, back to the story. Uh, I like that, you know, Odo sort of absconded with Kira and he he sort of can't control himself, you know. And they're going to this rogue planet. So the search is over at forty three minutes. Um they found the founders. Here's this like mini shuttlecraft from the Defiant. It looks kind of like an X Wing or like a I don't know what, like a, a little fighter ship. They're dressing this rogue planet in a way to make it look a bit like things are luminescent on their own or like fluorescent yeah uh, which i like
0: because there you know isn't the sun though there was a yeah trying to be consistent
1: yeah um so here's the big sort of effects shot
0: It's, Uh, it's good i mean especially for this era of cgi um
1: yeah i agree with you um i mean maybe it's not quite at the abyss level, but it's clear they're working from the same sort of playbook. Uh, yeah, as far as the morphing effects. Uh, we're introduced to these shapeshifters with these sort of swishy beige robes.
0: Well, yeah. I always took this as they adopted this look because they were choosing to mimic Odo's look.
1: It looked somewhat like Odo's outfit.
0: Yeah, to be like, oh, you mean well, the physical look of their faces? Right, like their entire like. They, they chose to, because they're, they're changelings, what do they care what they look like in solid form, um, but they chose to appear that way to Odo to maybe bridge the gap, like to make it more apparent that, I mean, obviously the big pool of gelatinous goo was the giveaway as well, but it like would make sense that uh, they are the same people because they chose to mimic him.
1: Yeah. No, I agree with that. Um, Alright, so the episode has ended uh, on a cliffhanger, and I think it's a pretty effective one. You know, it's yeah. like they—they they have, to a pretty decent extent, built this mystery of Odo's origins, and so now the cliffhanger is: uh, Wow, we found these changelings. I suppose they haven't spelled it out that these changelings are the founders yet. So, although it, it's strongly hinted at, because that's the lead they were following, you know, right uh, in the episode. <clears throat> but they haven't spelled it out yet, so it, it's not completely transparent to this point that that's the case. But, you know, I, I like that as a cliffhanger. You know, it it feels, as opposed to some of the previous episodes, in which, like, oh, we found a key that's made of shape-shifting stuff. Like, I don't care, you know. Yeah. that That doesn't, like, tickle my fancy or make me want to know more. This cliffhanger makes me want to know more. Like, I definitely want to tune in next week. You
0: know? Yeah, and I And I will say, I really like what they eventually did with it. Um, Rene Auberjonois said in interviews that he was really unhappy uh, when he first found out we were finding Odo's people because he thought it might be the death of his character because we've removed, you know, one of his major reasons for being. Um, but I like where they go with the twist that, well, you found what you wanted, but it turns out you might not want it anymore. Like, yeah. that. That's that's dramatic, you know? to get the thing you want and find out you don't want it anymore. That's just good drama. So, well, in some
1: ways it, it creates a conflict internally for the character. That's somewhat similar to a a Spock, you know? Right. You have someone who is torn between a desire to fit in, but also, uh, disdain or dislike for some part of his own nature, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, good stuff all around. Um, so as far as the episode goes, uh, I mean, there's a lot going on here. They've introduced a lot of elements that will be followed up on.
0: Yeah, I'll Um, say, um, I I think it's well-paced. I think it's energetic. It's fun to watch. I agree with your basic complaint about the, you know, as much as Worf's departure in Redemption, it's like, well, clearly that's not going to stay that way. So I get that. But that's really my only writing quibble overall. Everything else had, you know, Tension and pay and energy, and I really want to know what happens next week. So the writing is solid. We, we don't hit any of the major philosophical heights that Star Trek can hit, um, but this is still a interesting, dramatic, well-paced episode.
1: So you know. Yeah, I agree with you. There's there's a lot of plot. It's a very plot plot. Um, you know, a lot of point A to point B kind of stuff. A lot of conflict and fighting and. You know, they don't necessarily get to the big ideas yet. But, yeah, it's pretty crisp. It's enjoyable. There's some nice character moments. Uh, you know, Kira and Cisco got some good scenes. Odo and Kira got some good scenes. The two Cisco's together got some good scenes. Uh, I really liked Martha Hackett. Oh, yeah. I really liked... Uh, I really need to look up his name now. Um, you know, the actor who played... Uh, the, the alien yeah um you know uh i mean Bashir didn't get utilized a whole lot neither did o'brien um dax was kind of eh, you know as far as writing for the character went although actually you know dax got a pretty decent scene with cisco too yeah um so yeah i mean everything works there's really yeah, the only sour note for me was, you know, oh, no, Odo's going to be fired again. Um, but as you say, it ends up not being the huge part of the episode. It, it was just sort of a cheap trick to try to, you know, make the audience question whether he's, you know, I don't know, completely on board with the Federation mission or whatever. Um, you know... They, they've set up some good stuff. They introduced the Defiant. They introduced the cloaking device. They introduced Eddington, who will come in later. You know, they've. I guess my other beef, structurally speaking, is that they just found the founders too quickly. Um, but for what it is, it's an interesting moment for Odo's character, and it's a good cliffhanger. So, you know, not too bad. Yeah, I'll also say I think given the amount that's happened.
0: and the the cliffhanger is related to the dominion and so you know the Defiant's been attacked we don't know what's happened to it but we also have this big there's so much packed in this episode that it kind of telegraphs to the audience we'll resolve the cliffhanger of this episode but we will not be resolving the dominion like i I, because i i think my big concern when i remember watching it is oh well we're going to get all this set up and all this set up and all this set up and the Dominion will be dealt with in a two-parter and never heard from again, and that's going to make everything feel very stupid. Yeah, so, I agree with that. Watching this, you're like, no, the Dominion will be here to
1: stay in a meaningful way. I think the jury's out on that question for a person watching this episode for the first time. I think you might be forgiven for wondering if, well, they found the Founders, now they're going to beat them, and that'll be it. you know? Because um, uh, previous two-parters or previous movies for that matter, there's always sort of this like, you know, well, once we get to place X with leader Y, we can commit action Z and the plot will be resolved, you know? So I, I think you'd be forgiven for worrying that that was going to happen here. Um, but as we know, it's not going to happen. So you know, I don't think we can fault this episode or praise it one way or the other. Um, how is the acting for you? Uh,
0: solid, I mean, average to above average. I mean, again, I always feel bad when my, when my critique of an episode is it's a good episode, but not, you know, it, it's not great. It didn't require great. This wasn't duet. This wasn't necessary evil. But OK, that's fine. They all can't be, you know, those episodes. So this was, everyone did their job very well. They may not have been asked to do the hardest thing they've ever done as professional actors, but that's not a criticism, really. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, I think some praise needs to be portioned out uh, to the guest actors in this. Now, of course, we have Martha Hackett, who we think is great. Um, You know, she plays a heck of a Romulan. You know Actually, as far as Romulans go, she definitely still brought her own feel to it. Yeah, like, this, this Romulan was wasn't as sort of cool and manipulative as previous Romulans. Yet, I'm sure it, you know it may still happen. Um, you know, but as you say, I mean, she she totally embodies the part and fills the role in the universe, and you never question Martha Hackett in the role. So she's terrific there. Uh, This introduces Salome Jens, you know, as the female changeling person. She doesn't really get a line, so we can't talk too much about that. I Uh, do like her. John Fleck Fleck is the actor who plays uh, Ornithar, who also plays Silic in Enterprise. And yeah, I I just can't say enough good stuff about John Fleck. I I think he's kind of like. Mark Alamo, or Andrew Robinson. He's one of those actors who, the way he delivers lines, just kind of rivets you in mm-hmm. some way. Um, so, and of course we had Kenneth Marshall as Eddington, and he was fine. You know, certainly you know, not bad. Yeah, yeah. So, the guest cast really did a, a, quite a good job uh, in this episode. I think Avery Brooks kept it in check. You know, he didn't Overact at any point. Um, I think Mana Visitor was good. Uh, you know, I didn't love Rene Abergenois, his sort of like moony eyes looking at a computer screen, you know, but I don't think it was bad.
0: I, I, I think that might be as much the writing. I mean, how. That, 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 that's a. That's a yeah, when mistake. the script says,
1: and now look at the computer screen longingly, you know, that's not good writing. Yeah. There's ways you could create dialogue that would indicate that instead of just forcing the actor to be silent.
0: Yeah. Uh, in terms of production values, I think this was uh, really good, but not in a over-the-top way. Like, the, the fight sequences were good. The model work was great. There were some awesome acoutograms. Um, I like the little communications
1: relay. I think overall it was pretty much unimpeachable. As yeah. far as production values, to, there were some nice phaser effects. There, there, I don't know if they've explained yet what this sort of like pulsed weapon is that they're firing off yeah. the Defiant, but it sure looks cool. Yeah. Um, you know, and yeah, like you said, great model work. They hold a ton of new sets and new designs and new ship models. You know, we got both the Defiant and its mini shuttle. Um and you know the rogue planet looked pretty decent. It was dark, you know, and well, it had this perpetual twilight
0: feel, which is, uh, you know, I think that'd be one of those episodes that might really benefit from a uh, from a Blu-ray uh, treatment. I think the like higher quality. Oh, it a lot
1: less money, absolutely.
0: Yeah, um, <coughs> but yeah, I think because uh, like the the impression I got was it was this rogue planet in the nebula, but when they approached the planet. There was still a star off in the distance, but you figure it's yeah. a nebula. There's going to be stars, but it's still not going to create like it looked far enough away that it would be like, you know, sunlight on Jupiter, where it's just you know there's a bright star in the sky, but it doesn't illuminate. Which yeah. kind oh. I, I like the feel. Um, and I and they'll do some fun stuff with it. Um, next episode, like their little like arboretum type thing, which I really liked. And um...
1: yeah, no, I agree. Uh, so, you know. Overall, uh, I think this is a four. Yeah, I, I agree.
0: I, I yeah, there's. I've certainly argued that a good character drama or a good action drama or a good comedy uh, can be as satisfying and score as high as the big, you know, philosophical, you know, big question episode. Um, but I don't think they. Th- there has to be a reach for a five. There has to be something that makes you go wow that was just awesome what you were doing there like this was just very very good storytelling and uh, i'm happy yeah, i agree with the four
1: well i mean i might cut that to
0: one very uh, yeah you know yeah maybe i over varied but yeah the, the, i think it was
1: very it, it, it was actually it was quite good maybe not very okay uh, i think i think it just reached into four territory because everything was solid you yeah know? it was like so solid as to be remarkably solid as an episode. Um, you know, I do have a few structural issues with it, but I, I was entertained when it was on the screen, and it left me wanting more. Yeah. And th- I think that's the mark of a four. And when I look at the individual elements of the episode, I can't really find much to fault, with the exception of one or two sort of basic writing ideas. And, and uh, idea of hair. Well, yeah, okay, you were right about that. Uh, Did not like her hair. Um, You know, but I think this is one of those episodes that, you know, you've watched the first two seasons, and it does feel different. It feels more directed. It feels like, oh, wow, now we're getting to the good stuff.
0: Yeah, it it doesn't feel aimless. Like, like we didn't need a B. You know what? We didn't need a B plot.
1: Yeah. Uh, I've tended to like Deep Space Nine episodes without B plots, uh, which I, well, I guess, what does that say about Deep Space Nine? At, in some ways, I think it, at least at this point, says that the characters aren't interesting enough for me to want to spend time on a B plot, and I'd rather you spent that energy on the A plot, making it interesting. And they did here. The A plot is very interesting. I'm not saying that it won't get to the point where i want to spend time with the characters in the B-plots. Uh, but a show like TNG, for whatever reason, whether it's writing or acting or some alchemy between the two, uh, it was just one of those shows that it's like, yeah, I don't care what they do. Right, right. You, it could be <laughs> I like... I just want to watch them.
0: Yeah, it could be like the Enterprise goes and fights the Romulans. Meanwhile, Counselor Troy goes and buys shoes. And I would watch that. I would be probably delighted. The entire time the B plot was on, as long as it wasn't enough to, you know, not give the A plot enough room to do its job, Yeah, I'm going to be like, you know what? I will, like, day to day, I'll watch people just live their lives because I find them charming. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, back to this. This is good. I'm, I enjoyed it. It was had a lot of energy, and I really wanted to know what happens next week.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think... The four for me is just sort of this. I mean, it's not vague necessarily, but it's it's a it's a feeling of uh, quality, yeah, consistent, solid quality that hasn't really been a hallmark of the series so far. <laughs> um, and that's not to say there haven't been good and even great episodes, because there have been, but they're always sort of flanked by stinkers. Yeah.
0: Know? Well, so um, I actually think this is when Ron Moore. Uh, joined the team as a producer and writer, so you can already see his hand at work. There's a competence and a direction to the episode. There, like it's going. The, the episode got to a place, and it spent the entire episode getting there.
1: Yeah.
0: So, uh, I'm looking forward to to part two. Uh, actually, I've been like just looking over the list. There's several episodes uh, in the first half of the season that uh, really delight me. Uh, meridian is not one of them but um other than that i I like most of what we got coming down the tube so um
1: yeah Yeah, i think any fan who has slogged through the first two seasons and now watches this episode you know should feel justifiably optimistic to be fair of course that's how i felt at the beginning of season two as well you know it's like oh finally they're doing something interesting and there's a real direction to it and then they just had the middle of season two, and that sucked. Um, so hopefully, as you say, you know, a, a bit of fresh blood creatively and a bit of sort of narrative momentum will keep things chugging along. Okay, I think that's, that's
0: an eight. yeah, that's an eight out of ten for uh, the search part one, uh, and I think that's it for us here at for this for this podcast. Um, we'll see you. Uh, At our next one, I don't know what that'll be, but we'll let you know when we figure it out.
1: Yeah. Uh, Live long and prosper.
0: Have a good one.